0: On this week's episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by Amelia Sordell, personal branding expert, founder, and owner of the brilliant personal branding business Clout, which she started bang in the middle of the pandemic. Clout is now hiring its sixth person and it's going from strength to strength. Amelia, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on. I'm a client of yours, but also a good friend. Um, I love what you're doing. You're obviously a LinkedIn sensation. I'm delighted that you're here. I'm really keen to for you to have a platform to share your story and tell me and the audience about as much as you as possible and any resilience and hardship you've faced. And please feel free to go back as as far as you want to go back.
1: Wow, what a loaded question. Um, So where shall I start? I feel like almost every entrepreneur or almost anyone that has kind of faced, like, I guess what you call adversity or whatever, Has there's a common theme right I think that you're human you every single person every single one of us comes across things in life that will block us from achieving our dreams achieving our goals whatever it might be so I guess a little bit about my story is I am a classic entrepreneur I Mm -hmm. um, have been selling lemonade off the uh, front of my parents porch since I I I could remember Um, and I think that's just been part of my life you know My whole life. And I think it's not surprising to anyone who knew me as a child that I've ended up owning a business. Although for a long time, I didn't think that was going to be a possibility because when I was 21, I opened my first business after having a very short stint in an office environment. I decided, as the kind of arrogant 21 year old I was, that I could do this and I didn't need to work for someone else. And I went it off and started uh, my own business. I got funding. Um, we grew very quickly in the first 12 months. We were a women's fashion brand. So we sold dresses and clothes and, and, you know, everything that women like to wear. Mm-hmm. And we were stocked in 12 different boutiques internationally online and bricks and mortar. So for 12 months growth, that's, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, we made or I made a catastrophic business decision in year two which meant that that business had to either fold or we had to take out a huge loan Um, and as a 22 year old I didn't really know what to do so of course we folded the business and I kind of continued on my journey and I, I know this sounds trivial to people who perhaps haven't gone through something like that or you know, kind of look at a situation and go, go, well, you know what? She had the ability to be able to close that business, but the trauma that that caused me Mm. was, I didn't realize quite how bad it it had made me scared to try things until probably the last couple of years. So I think closing that business kind of brought back all these memories of when I was a child, when I was bullied at school and I was rejected and I was picked on for having a funny accent because I was Australian and I'd gone into a school I come from Australia when I was when I was seven years old and I'd been put into a year or two above my school age and so I couldn't read properly I couldn't write properly I I yeah. was dumb like compared to everyone else in that class because I was a year and a half younger I was dumb and so I think the trauma of losing that business brought up all these things that I'd had as a child that mm. perhaps you had dealt with and throughout my kind of schooling age I hated school because I felt every time I went into school I was stupid because I was behind everyone and that was that wasn't just as a young seven-year-old that knock-on effect on the confidence happened until I was about you know 25 26 years old when I had my first child um so I wouldn't I haven't I feel bad saying it was traumatic because there are so, it could always be worse. Do you know what I mean? Like losing a business is not the end of the world. As no. one of my clients says to me, like, you're selling social media services, it's not life or death. And I completely love that way of thinking because mm. it isn't life or death. But when you are, and I'm sure you can really, <coughs> you are so heavily personally invested in your business, which we all are. Anyone that says they're not personally invested in their business is a liar. Um, when you're so heavily and personally invested in your business, it's really hard not to take things personally and actually yeah. i think if you don't take things personally you don't care enough and i think that's really really important so i, I hate this idea of it's just business it's not personal yeah. it is fucking personal <laughs> well
0: it's, it's your business is your is your baby that was that that was probably your first metaphoric baby really before you actually yeah. had, you, you had your children but to come over here um at the age of seven i think you said you know you know a brand new country and then to be put into a school where you're kind of behind everybody else. I mean, talk to me about how that fit, that felt as well with the bullying. Because you you were such as dumb and stupid. And they're quite labelling words. But were you? Was that what you were called? Was that what you were your name called as well? Or what was the bullying like?
1: Yeah, I think at the time, like if you if <clears throat> if I don't think I would have identified it as bullying then. I just thought I was picked on. Right, like b- back then, like bullying wasn't such a, a big. So I, I'm a, I'm a millennial, right? So I've grown up in an era where <laughs> kids are always mean, regardless of what generation you grew up in. But Mm. I grew up in an era where there was no social media. There was no kind of like evidence of all this kind of stuff Mm. happening. And kids were just kids. They, you know, if you have a funny name or you have a funny accent, or you look different, it didn't help that I was about, you know, five foot nine when I was nine years old and I was really tall and had really long limbs and everyone else was kind of like shoulder height to me. Yeah, It it didn't help Mm. that I stuck out like a sore thumb. And so of course, what do children do? They pick on the thing that sticks out. And so I was a really easy target. I was called big bird. I was called like all kinds of things, which as a Mm. young female child are things that you then become incredibly self-conscious of when you get, as you get older. So that then became a sort of, um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I, I, it became a looking back, it became kind of the reason that then went on to give me a pretty severe eating disorder as a young woman. So when I was um and it all has I think when you can look back in hindsight, Chris, you can see connections and things, and during the time you you don't really understand why things are happening yeah. or, and hindsight is such a good thing and and now I'm a mother, I have a daughter of my own, like I'd never want to put any of my insecurities or which I still have like they never go away. Mm-hmm. um I'd never want to put any of my securities onto her, but I was always like the biggest, like I wasn't fat, but I was definitely bigger than everyone else. I was definitely taller than everyone else. Cause I was five foot nine when I was like seven years old, you know, like there's not many kids that age that are that big. They're normally tiny petite little things that are like four foot and whatever. So I was called all these names. I was called all these horrible things. I was told I was stupid. I was told I was fat, you know, all these horrible things. that then continued because I feel like if I'd nipped that in the bud when I was younger, it wouldn't have continued. But as I went into secondary school, I because my confidence was so low and I felt like I kind of, and I'm not kind of victimizing myself, but I felt like I kind of attracted that energy. Like I was the right. the kid that had low self-esteem, the kid that had no confidence, the kid that was so scared of speaking to other people and forming relationships with other people that when she went to a restaurant with her parents, she would ask her father to order her, for her food for her right. because she didn't want to have to speak to the waiter because that was really scary. And so wow. that was me at like 15. And- if you think bullying is bad at prep school, you can imagine how bad it is at secondary school when people actually, you know, really get into, they really stick a knife in an open wound and like push Mm. it. So that kind of triggered a a thing in me. I don't even know where it started. I think it was just being called fat one too many times. And I then just stopped eating. And I didn't start eating properly again until I was about, 23. So I I used to live, and this is not, I know it sounds crazy to say this, but I used to live on Diet Coke, cigarettes, (laughs) um, one apple a day, and I'd allow myself a carrot or three rice crackers. And that was like my diet for the better part of three or four years. Wow. And it wasn't until I went on a girl's and I didn't drink alcohol because (laughs) alcohol to me was terrible because it was so calorific, and how could dare could I put young 18 year old how could I dare put that awful thing in my body that's going to make me put on all this weight and it wasn't until I went on holiday with my girlfriends to Las Vegas and it was the first girls hole that I had properly been on that my girlfriends kind of sat me down and were like your eating is not normal and like you you shouldn't be 58 kilos and be five foot nine like Mills we can see your ribs we can see your back we can see your spine like wow this doesn't look good and I'd be in the mirror grabbing folds of skin going, oh my God, I need to lose five pounds. And so that was, I think I felt a lot of shame in that, which is, which is a common theme, right? I felt shame for being fat. I felt shame for being stupid. I felt shame for being dumb. Yeah. And I felt shame that my friends were saying, hang on, why aren't you taking care of yourself?
0: Yeah. And
1: that it's funny because it sounds, again, sounds really ridiculous, but it was that <laughs> holiday to Vegas that really made me go, okay like there's something happening here that I need to address
0: (laughs) wow I mean there's a lot there I mean you've obviously had a lot of kind of trauma uh, from a very young age all the way through your kind of formative years and then um, talk to me about the business because you mentioned that as your kind of biggest thing but I think all that stuff beforehand was was just as bad and cumulatively is is probably giving you the drive you've got now which we can talk about but how did that make you feel when you had to you had to fold your your, your business at twenty one? I think you said.
1: Yeah, I was I was twenty two. I started the business and I was twenty one, and I folded it. Well, officially folded it, and I was twenty five. But we had to shut it down when I was twenty two. Um, I think they're all connected, right? Like if you're if you grow up with a lack of confidence, mad self esteem. Um, you think you should look a certain way like the worst thing that you should do is then go and do something when you're isolated by yourself with no people to help you i had no yes. co-founders i was i was doing it all by myself learning through google which by the way is the best university <laughs> i think that yes. my degree was the worst investment <laughs> i've ever made and google and youtube is the bomb Totally. Um, yeah, so I I think when you go and do something on your own, when you already feel rejected by your peers and all that kind of stuff was just mm. a terrible decision. And so not that they're kind of directly linked, but I do think they are kind of backlinked in that I had no confidence to make hard decisions. And because I had no confidence to make hard decisions, I made the wrong decisions. Yeah, and yeah. that meant that the business had to fold. Um in hindsight it's the best thing that ever happened to me right because if that business hadn't unfolded I would never have gone into recruitment if I hadn't gone into recruitment I wouldn't have built my confidence up like I accredit being headhunter with one of the most empowering times in my life because all of a sudden I wasn't being judged on how I looked all of a sudden I wasn't and for context of that I used to work in nightclubs so you can imagine how that added to someone with bad self-esteem um It went into a business where I wasn't, you know, it wasn't based on looks. It wasn't based on how skinny you were. It wasn't based on how um, well you could read. It was all about forming relationships with on your, on the phone. And that was something I was really good at. I started at the business um, on say like a Monday and by the following Thursday, I had won my first client. And this was before I'd had training, I got in trouble for even making the call. Like I wasn't supposed to be calling people, but I was like, no, this is fun. Like, let me, let me do this. Um, and I won my first client, and it was that. And I remember the first client now. I know who it was. I'm not going to say his name, but I remember his name. I remember the business, and that business is still a retained client of the old business I worked for today because of me. And that I did that in my second week, and that was just kind of the scratching the surface of yeah. what I would say was a very successful rookie year as a headhunter. Um, I finished the year on like 139 or 100, I think it was 129% of my annual target. I was on track to do like 500% in my month one of like yeah. the next um, annual. So I was, I was on the way to um, being, forming a very um, successful, what I thought was going to be successful career in recruitment. I then got pregnant with my now daughter and had terrible warning sickness, decided to leave, leave uh, recruitment. And then re-entered yeah. the workplace after having children as a marketeer because no one could understand why Amelia Sordell or at the time Amelia Chapman was only making two calls a day but billing 20 grand a month like there was a disconnect between the behaviors of a Mm -hmm. top biller and actually what was coming out the other side and what people and the people that employed me realized was what I was doing was sending email campaigns to people what I was doing Uh, was building my personal brand on social media what I was doing was kind of warming people up before I called them and so the one or two calls I did make always resulted in a job or a placement or a whatever so although my call volume was low my call time was high and my placement to ratio was really high like almost job to you know spec to placement one to one like pretty much bang on i very rarely had to send any cvs out it was normally like right here are the three people that i think good for you and because i built up that trust they trusted me to send them those people so that's kind of what led me into my business now which is personal branding i do Mm. i do what i did for myself as a you know i'm a practitioner Mm. i i was practicing then not that i knew what it was but
0: um i think it's an amazing story i think you know i think you weren't joking we about um, running a lemonade stand and that was that actually happened, did it?
1: Yeah, well I wasn't actually a lemonade stand. I used to sell my brothers and my toys out the front of my house. So I guess right. it's kind of But yeah, like I am. I if you look up entrepreneur, right? And everyone goes, "Oh, I've always been an entrepreneur." Like I, I literally am that cookie cutter. You know, she used to sell all her toys. I had an eBay business when I was like twelve, and I used to make thousands of pounds reselling clothes. Mm. I um, had a cooking, had a baking business when I was at university because I figured out that all the potheads really like. (laughs) like sweet things and so I was like well you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go and set up this little shop right next to where everyone smokes weed and I'm gonna sell them cookies (laughs) and they were like great so I used to make loads of money off these guys and girls that were getting high because I was selling them cake (laughs) um and then I I started my like first proper business which was either side which was my um b2b clothing brand when I was 21 so I'm I'm that and it failed dramatically which I think is also a sign of a, about an entrepreneur but well, I, th- um, I
0: think I think you've done a lot of great things at a young age but that, that adversity has really helped you to be the person that you are now and everyone that knows you now I mean you, you know you don't let anything bother you and you know you're the kind of social media queen but I, I want to talk to you about um your husband as well because um I do a lot of work with mental health I understand that he's he's had some some challenges there may I say as well
1: yeah. So for everyone that doesn't know, my husband is Marvin Shordell. He is a former professional um, footballer. He was in the Premier League. Um, he uh, played at Team GB at the Olympics in London 2012. He's played in the Euros. He's played for England. Like he's a pretty, you know, considering that most football players don't make it, he, he did pretty well. Like he played at the Premier League in the championship most of his career. Like he he, he, he did pretty well out of it. Um when I met him, he was playing for Watford and he had this incredible career. He'd won like young player of the we- year award. Like he was on track to be the next insert very famous. Yeah. And when I met him, he was a Watford and he was just got this move to Bolton, which at the time was in the premier league.
0: Yeah, and that was a huge,
1: it was in the, at the time it was ridiculous money. It was like 4 million quid for a young 20 year old to go to a premier league from yeah. a championship club to a Premier League club. And it was like front page news because everyone was like, how can this club pay so much money for this kid? And at the time, <clears> to <throat> give context, I knew nothing about football. I didn't know who Marvin was. I didn't even know who, where Bolton was. I had no idea. Yeah. I My idea of hell would be to date someone like a quote unquote typical footballer because right. I I, <laughs> I'd grown up working in clubs and stuff and I'd seen mm. that flash behavior and it just wasn't of interest yeah, to me. Yeah um so I knew nothing about football I didn't know how it worked I, c- I couldn't understand how one minute he could work for one club and then the next minute he for another one I had no idea um so we had a very long distance relationship for the first kind of year year or so of our relationship he was in Manchester I was in London um I was working here and, and I'd go up and down and he'd go up and down and about six months into our relationship he well less than six months he was announced he was going to be part of team GB and I guess that's kind of where everything sort of started like i i think he must have been feeling different before that but because we were in a long distance relationship i didn't really clock right because we only spent about 24 hours together at any given time but when after team gb i started spending a lot more time in manchester and we started spending a lot more time together and i started to realize that like he was he appeared to be very lonely and appeared to be very reserved and quiet and things really affected him and i know that's synonymous with all any if you ask any partner of a player of any sport they will tell you if they do not win they lose they have a bad game or they have a bad they are written off for the weekend like you can't do anything you can't say anything you just cancel your plans and you get on with it because they are so as i go back to what i was saying earlier you're so personally invested (laughs) in your career of course you care when you don't win yeah but that started becoming every single day like after training after a away game after like and to me, that didn't seem right. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of nagging him as as partners do, saying, you know, what's up, what's wrong, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, I'm fine, I'm just tired, I'm just tired, I'm just tired. And that happened, that continued happening for about 12 months or so until he started getting to the point where I would come home and he would be on the floor in tears, in the dark, crying. And this, hap- this happened quite a few on quite a few separate occasions and by this point he'd been sidelined by the manager he wasn't playing all the Bolton fans hated him because they'd signed him for a lot of money and he wasn't being played and and so he had this internal pressure external pressure and all these things happening and we I try I i don't want to say forced because it's probably the wrong language but i forced him to go and see someone i found a psychiatrist i said look you need to go and see this person Mm. it's not normal for you to feel this way right it's okay for you to feel this way but it's not normal for you to feel this way no no no, i can't can't. do that because i can't do that why not because if my club found if my club finds out it's going to be a problem i was like no 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 confidential they won't find out you can go and see this person it's fine
0: Mm. so i
1: found this amazing psychiatrist in manchester and he went and saw her a few times and I used to drive him physically to the appointment because I knew that if I let him go by himself, he just wouldn't go.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I used to drive him. I'd wait outside for him to have his session with her. And then he'd get back in the car and I'd take him home. And this, this was our kind of routine, right? No one else knew. It was just me and him. Mm-hmm. It was like our little secret. Like my family didn't know. No one else knew. His mom didn't know. No one knew. Club didn't know. He had what I can only describe as like a wobble and, I was about to say the psychiatrist's Mm. name. The psychiatrist advised him strongly to go and seek inpatient help because she was concerned that he was going to either take his own life or do something stupid. So he um, went to the club and said, um, well, actually, no, that's not even the chain of events. This was her recommendation. He said, Mm. I can't do that because the club – it's i'm a footballer i can't do that like people will think this you know this is ridiculous so he just left it he didn't do anything about it he he, i don't even i think he cancelled all the sessions and he just stopped going he kind of reclused back into himself
0: yeah the
1: club found out that he had been seeing the psychiatrist how they found out i don't know all i can speculate is that they illegally obtained his um confidential doctor's information from the club doctor who had the right to have it because that was his GP, but okay. he didn't have the legal right to then share that with the chairman at, at of the yeah. time. And he got a call from um, the chairman of Bolton and said, if you think you're going to check into an inpatient treatment, you've got another thing coming. We, and like basically threatening him saying, if you go and do this, your career is done. Like you'll, yeah. you'll never play again. And so, of course, he didn't go. Of course, he didn't go. And then, um, after that, he tried to take his own life. And no one knew. It was just me and Marvin. And that, seeing someone in that much pain Hmm. and you loving someone that much and then not being able to do anything to help them. Like, nothing. Like, I, there's literally nothing I could have done. And to have so little such little compassion and such little support from the people that have a duty of care. For this young man, he was twenty-two. He was twenty-two years old. He had what if what if he'd been successful? Yeah. Exactly. What if he'd been successful?
0: Well they, and they wouldn't get really. away with it these days. They just wouldn't be able to do that. But I mean that that is I mean what's changed since then? Because that that's a huge thing. And uh, you know how did he get out of that situation i know he's doing some great work for that situation at the moment but what what happened yeah. after
1: um so what happened after that was a lot of ugliness a lot of darkness we split up for a time because he he just i i think that th- i always say to him like i know when i i call it in your feelings like i know when he's in his feelings i can't yeah. i can't get in because he is just in a box and it happened it happens now like I uh, he'll openly admit he has bad months days weeks whatever like yeah. i don't think you can ever fully get over being depressed or get over being suicidal it's like a it's i don't want to downplay anyone with an addiction but it's kind of like if you're an alcoholic you're never not an alcoholic you just mm-hmm. stop drinking yeah. addiction's always there i've had demons that I have had to deal with that's always there I I always have something in the back of my head that's going you're fat you're fat you're fat you're stupid you're stupid you're stupid but I've learned to kind of deal with it rather than try and ignore it or listen yeah. to it it's kind of just part of who I am and so this is part of who he is and the kind of middle bit between him his, his I don't want to say suicide because actually I don't know if you know but suicide is referred to as committing suicide because suicide was actually against the law. So yes. I try and yeah. say, take, take your own Absolutely. life. Absolutely,
0: It's now completed now. It's called completed now, but anyway.
1: Yeah. Um, so he, he attempted um, to take his own life. He was very, thank God, God, not successful. Yeah. Um, and the kind of period between then and where we are now is serious depression kind of total reliance on medication that did or didn't work, um, you know, bouts with therapy, um, bouts with trying to reach out for help and being told again, no. Um, he had a wobble after we had our second child, or was it, I think our first, and he asked the club for help where he was and they said, yeah, sure, we'll help you out. You know, yeah. we'll give you a hand around your shoulder and all that kind of stuff. dropped from the team the next week, never played again. And... This is just the culture, right? Like I know it's changing and I want to give kudos where kudos is due, right? Because of the work of people like Marvin have done and Raheem Sterling and like so many other people that are so passionate about raising awareness in this space, things have happened, things have changed. But ultimately, if you have such a embedded culture within a business and a ecosystem where it's like chin up, shut up, put up, you get paid a lot of money, keep your mouth shut, keep playing, you're fine. Like that's literally football. Yeah. And what they don't realize is, I know we talk about this a lot, Chris, but 80 to 90% of your performance is based on your mindset. If your mind is not right, you will not perform. And so you need to treat mental, like negative mental health or mental illness like you would a physical injury. Absolutely. Because your physical injury only stops you from physically what you can do, right? If I've broken my leg, I can't walk. But that leg, yeah. that leg will mend eventually and I will be able to walk again. If you don't mend the bones in your head, Absolutely. then you you'll never, it's not just that you won't be able to perform on the pitch, you won't be able to perform in your life. Yeah. And so it's so imperative that clubs and employers as well. This isn't just a football topic. That right. Employers take a stance and actually accept that. You know, people spend the majority of their time at work, right? Not 80 to 90% of their output is based on their mindset, on their mental capability. Do the maths. Like surely, and this is synonymous, right? You can see all the football clubs. You can see all the employees that get the most out of their teams because they look after their team's mental health. They look after the things that are going on off the pitch, out of the office to make sure that when the people are on the pitch and in the office, they bring it. Because they can, because they're supported. Um, so to go back to your earlier question, long story short, um, Marvin's now in a place where he quit football due to mental health reasons. He didn't feel like he was being supported. Um, some really awful things have happened to him throughout the entirety of his career. Yeah. He's had um, a specific manager sell stories to the newspaper. And I would love to be able to tell you who that is. Cause I still feel some type of way about it, as you can tell,
0: Yeah, um,
1: you know, sell stories about him. Um, we know that to be fact and he just said you know what it's not worth it no this isn't worth it this is not worth endangering my own life because my mm-hmm. mental health is so bad that i want to take it to continue playing football and so he quit yeah he just quit he called up his club one day and just said i'm done like i'm i'm finished i'm retiring this year and he retired and honest to god never seen him happier he is really great free he 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 has no constraint on what he can and can't say he he gets to have his opinion he got told multiple times by previous managers that he's not to post on social media he should be focusing on football he's not to be cooking because he should be fo- posting um focusing on football he's not to be learning a language or learning to play the piano or all these other things yeah, that yeah. are normal well, that's great that he's going and doing all those things to make himself like busy and happy and not comparing computer games or getting a drug addiction or a gambling addiction like most other, other athletes get. Um, and he's just a really happy, whole human being. That's the only way I can describe it. And right. the best part that's come out of all of this is that he and I now have a platform to talk about it. Yes. Because we're not constrained by the fact that there's this thing hanging over your head, like we will destroy you. Okay, come on then. Like mm. you can't touch yourself because you're not contractually obliged to keep your mouth shut or you're yeah. not being threatened with your career that you've spent every single second since the age of six years old building up to being taken away from you. And that's incredibly freeing. And so now he just says what he wants, does what he wants, works wow. what he wants. Um, he, again, like I said, like it never really leaves you. He does have times where he's not himself but he knows how to deal with it and he checks himself he catches it before it becomes a problem and that's been amazing for me to see as a partner um to see that growth in him and
0: hmm. i think that's an amazing story and a huge kudos to him for coming through that and for you for kind of supporting him before we kind of close um just touch on how that's how that's affected you because you talked about him a lot there but obviously you're the you're his wife and you know you're the mother of his children and you're running a business I mean it must have been very hard on you as well
1: you know it's so funny like you're only the second person ever to ask me that like how how everyone wants to know and this isn't disrespectful at all but everyone wants to know what happened with Marv because Marv is in in some respects famous like people Mm. know who he is like he if you're a football fan, you'll know who he is. Cause he yeah. mainly because he played for so many clubs. Um, but yeah, he's, he's well known, but no one realizes that actually, whether you're playing in the championship and you're a well-known footballer, or you are just the partner of someone going through something yeah, that normally impacts you in ways that people could have no, un- no understanding of, like, it, especially for us, because it was like a like it was kind of like a dirty little secret between us. Like I couldn't tell my family, I couldn't tell my friends, I couldn't tell, I couldn't tell anyone because God forbid it got out. God forbid someone told a newspaper, someone told someone and some, you know how gossip yeah, spreads. Of course. It, it wouldn't have even been intentional. It would have been, especially at the time where Marvin was like in the he was, it seemed to be like a period of a couple of weeks where he was just in the paper every day about he has a Twitter addiction. He has you know something else is there and like oh he's got an attitude problem and it was just like all this stuff in the local news like in in Bolton and Manchester and
0: yeah
1: coming out how amazing for the papers would it have been if like oh sources say that like Marvin's actually like do you know what I mean like it just we didn't feel like we were allowed to and so I had to carry that burden not just for him but for me like I had no release I couldn't Talk to my friends, I became very closed off. I isolated myself from everyone. I didn't really make any new friends in my job. So I was like, well, I can't let anyone get too close because if they find out then it's gonna be a problem. And so I
0: yeah. had this
1: period of like a few years where just, I still have my best friends and we're still close to this day, thank God. Like they stuck by me, but I just didn't tell them anything. I would just go weeks and months without talking to them because wow. like what, like I just, because you know me, Chris, I'm very open. I, mm. I have been that most of my life if something's impacting me, I'll say it
0: um, yeah, because course. I think it's
1: better out than in, but I couldn't risk that happening. So the easiest mm. way to stop that from happening was just to Shut stop. Up, stop shop. Mm. Yeah. Which is very lonely. It's very, no. very lonely on yeah. your own in a house, yeah. you know, by yourself with someone that needs your help.
0: But now I look at but you now. now. So, I mean, if, before we, before we close to, talk to me a little bit about, what's happened with clout because it's only it's only a new business but it's been a meteoric rise and also summarize with some of your tips around how you've dealt with or how people can deal with some adversity or some of the adversity you've gone through and what what's kind of carried you through well
1: so clout god where do i start it's like (laughs) it's like clout with chaos right like we are at that stage of growth which i didn't think we'd be at for like another two years where we're hiring people we are entertaining conversations with um partnerships and that kind of stuff Um, but cloud is a personal branding agency we work with some incredible founders and startup um startups like you um to build their personal brands and that's been such an organic thing like it i never set out to go oh i'm gonna do a personal branding agency it just happened because people kept asking me how i did it for myself and i was like well if people keep asking me, maybe I should charge them. For this information. <laughs> um, so that's how clout came about um, advice on. I think the thing is like people overcomplicate obstacles and adversity, right? Like we put labels on everything. We love to tell people that they're a survivor, that they're, you know, that they're this awesome warrior and that they've survived all these things. And, you know, they've done a great job of overcoming, but, what we fail to recognize is that's not, I don't think anything to be celebrated because every single person has problems. And the biggest problem in life is thinking that you're never going to have one. Like you're never going to have any. Like you, you, you know, you can overcome all these. And I've not even mentioned some of the stuff that I could, because I don't, I don't feel comfortable in talking about it. At this stage in my life, I might feel comfortable in talking about it at some other point in my life, but there are things that I've held back and those things are very personal, very emotional, very traumatic. And I think I'm at a point in my life where I've realized that those things happen to everyone.
0: Yeah, it doesn't
1: make them good, doesn't make them okay. It doesn't mean that people should get away from get away with doing things to you or get away um, from things happening, but it happens. And I right. think it's really the hardest thing that you could possibly, the worst thing you could possibly do to yourself if you're going through a hard time is mm. to dwell on the fact you're going through a hard time. Like, feel it, yes. Yeah. Like, deal with it, yes, but move on because
0: move
1: it's, I feel like holding on mm. to resentment and holding on to pain is like, you know, drinking poison and expecting someone else to die like you're doing it to yourself you know like you're you're inviting that energy into your life and so you can go through all these terrible things and it's kind of why you see people that have gone through the hardest things in life are often the happiest and the most giving and the most fulfilled because they've actually realized what most of us haven't realized in that you are in charge of your own life and you cannot let anyone or anything take that away from you and that is ultimately how i think you come over trauma and adversity is you realize that you are in control of the situation
0: amen to that 100% concur with that i'd love to get you back on and hopefully talk about some of the other stuff when you're ready but i just want to say um i'm thrilled to have you on you're an inspiration to me and many women also many men as well and as an entrepreneur uh, I think you've done a fantastic job and I think this is just the beginning as well. So thank you so much. And that was that was an amazing story and I'm so glad that uh, I'm your client and also your friend. Thank you, Amelia.
1: Thanks, Chris. Love that.
0: The Purpose Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by VinCherry. VinCherry our all-in-one CRM and ATS platform purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with VinCherry because honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive. Plug into my calendar and email and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The purpose of the Leadership Podcast list is to get 25% off VinCherry's onboarding. So if you're looking for a recruitment CRM to accelerate your growth, check them out at vinscherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell.